Well, I want you to uh, welcome with me uh, one of our own, Scott Rainey. If you don't know Scott, uh, I've known of him. I've got to meet him for just a few hours now. Our friendship is growing uh, by the minute. Uh, But welcome with me, uh, Scott, as he comes to share. It was a family of five, a father and a son, a father and a a mother and three small children. They were from the little country of Armenia. Armenia was a part of the former Soviet Union, a small little Christian nation surrounded by Muslim countries around it, south of Russia. This uh, family was going along, living a normal life in Armenia when the father unexpectedly died, leaving the mother and her three children to fend for themselves. This mother, as many people in Armenia do because of the economy, had to leave Armenia to find work to support her family. She took her three children and she headed to Moscow, Russia, to find work. She had been there about a month when in Moscow she was struggling to find work. What do I do with my three children while I work and those kind of issues without family there? And she came across a group of people who said, we, we can help you find a job. And she said, what about my three kids? And they said, well, you can take your children to this babushka's house, this grandmother's house, and leave them there for a few hours. Come and see what we do, and then you can get your kids and decide if you would like to work with us. She said, great. She took her three children to this stranger's house, this grandmother's house, and left them there and headed off with these people What she did not know was that she had just entered into a sex trafficking ring, and this mother never returned to her children. The grandmother was not a part of it, and you can imagine to her surprise that the mother never came back, and she had these three children. The mother was taken from Moscow, Russia, to uh, Amsterdam, Holland, and there was entered into the sex trafficking ring. Somehow, the three children were uh, taken back to Armenia, and the mother, as she was in this uh, profession in, our, in uh, Amsterdam, was miraculously saved and pulled out of that and brought to a safe house. At that safe house in Amsterdam, there was a Nazarene laywoman from the Church of the Nazarene there who would volunteer her time at this safe house and minister to the women. She came across this lady and heard this lady's story, and the lady said to her, do you think you could help me find my children? The ladies, the Nazarene lady's question was a natural one. She said, what city are they in in Armenia? And the lady said, well, we're not really sure. I'm not really sure if they're actually even there. We believe they might be there, but I have no idea what city they live in. And the Nazarene lay woman said, I don't know. We'll pray and I'll pass the word around. She figured we were a part Being in the Church of the Nazarene and having districts around the world, she figured there was a chance we had some work going on in Armenia. And so she contacted a missionary. uh, It was the uh, missionary at the time, Cliff Wright. And she said, Cliff, and she said, here's the story. Do you think you can help us find these three children? And Cliff asked the natural question, what city are they in? And Cliff and the lady said, we're not sure that they're actually, actually in Armenia. We think they are, but we don't know a city if they are. Cliff said, well, I'm not sure. We'll pray and I'll pass the word. And Cliff contacted the pastor of the Yerevan Church of the Nazarene, which is in the capital city of Armenia, Pastor Karen. 
And he contacted Kaden and he said, this is the story and gave the story. And Pastor Kaden asked the natural question, what city are they in? And uh, Cliff said, we don't know. We think that they're there. And Kaden said, well, I'm not hopeful, but we'll pray and we'll see what happens. About a week later, Pastor Kaden joined a prayer group of national pastors across uh, Armenia, interdenominational group. And in that meeting, he stood up and he told the story and he said, would you help me pray? And those pastors began to pray that day. And after the conclusion of the prayer meeting, one of the pastors came up to Pastor Karen and said, you know, I don't know if this is connected at all, but um, in my town where I pastor, there are three kids that live in a small container of, of a house. And the three kids, nobody in the town knows where they came from or who they are. And you're welcome to come and check and see if this might be the three kids. Pastor Karen and his wife went in the next couple days, went up to this small town about an hour out of Yerevan, and they went to this container, and when they opened the door, they found three kids who had been living there for three years, not going to school. The town would bring them food, and what they discovered was the three kids that they had just found were the three kids of this story. Pastor Karen and his wife took the kids back to their own home, and in the Yerevan Church of the Nazarene, for about six months, they cared for these uh, kids and loved on them. All three kids came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And within another three months, the family, the mother and her three kids, were re- reunited together. It's a story. It sounds like a movie, really. But it's a story about a God who devises ways to bring people back to him when they've been separated from that, from him. He's the only one who can pull together a story like that and bring people back together who've been separated from each other and from him. I want to take just a moment and say thank you to Pastor Brady for allowing me to share tonight, and it's great to know you for the last four hours. Actually, I've known you longer through, through uh, Facebook and things, but uh, we're very thankful for your ministry here and, and able to be a part of that in a, in a long distance. Grace Point Church is, is really our family church. This is where we grew up, and we feel very close. As I look out, I see people that I grew up with that you can't tell stories. I see people that have uh, mentored me and discipled me and been my teachers and youth group leaders, and um, even Pastor Rex to have worked uh, not only been under your ministry but then worked alongside you. And, and it just feels like I'm home when I'm in this church, and I'm very thankful for all of you. I'm thankful for your prayers and your support. We get letters um, often from uh, people in this church and support, and we're very, very, very thankful. Uh, Thank you for loving us and for caring for us. I bring greetings to you from the CIS, the Commonwealth of Independent States. It is the former Soviet Union, uh, 12 countries. The Church of Nazarene is currently in six of those 12 countries. And so I bring you greetings from pastors and lay people in Russia, in Ukraine, in Moldova, in Armenia, in Kazakhstan, and then in a sixth country, one of the stands, uh, countries that I'm not allowed to say publicly in this kind of a, a venue. It's called a creative access country. And I want to ask that you uh, continue to pray for all of our ministries across those six countries and, and pray for us as we uh, contemplate and look into going into other countries as well that are a part of our field. 
We spent a lot of time, it's been a year and a half since we've been with you, we've spent a lot of time in the last year and a half in language study. I better understand today what immigrants coming to the United States face when they come into a country because now for the first time in my life, I'm a foreigner and it's an interesting position to find yourself in and learning the language is one of the most challenging ones. Uh, The language we're learning is Russian and they call it the heavenly language because it takes an eternity to learn. And we believe that. I definitely am on the four-year plan. Some people somehow learn it in a year, uh, but I'm on a four-year plan for sure. I've made a lot of mistakes in the language. I, I like to tell this one story of one of my early mistakes. I had been there about a month, and I, one day I went to, uh, I was taking a journey, and we use public transportation while we're there in Ukraine. And I got onto a mashrutka, which is a, a bus, a small bus that holds about 25 people uh, in chairs seated. Uh, but normally there are about 50 people on the bus. And so 25 people are standing up. Now, in the United States, we like a comfortable distance between people. And if, if I go to a grocery store and someone walks between the pulpit and I, as I'm looking at a, a some, some food there, and they walk between me and that uh, booth, they would turn and say, excuse me, as they walk by. They're that close. They didn't touch me, but they say, excuse me. In, in the country where I'm a part of now, um, it's very common to be very, very close to a bunch of strangers. And we like to have about 18 inches. I say that there's an 18-inch comfort zone, and my wife and kids are the only ones that come between my hand and my face. Uh, but on this particular bus this day, I was standing up in the middle of the bus, and there were about eight people that were close enough uh, within my hand's width for my body. In fact, I was touching probably eight strangers. And for an American, you're very uncom- I'm very uncomfortable in that kind of a setting. I don't know where to look. I don't know what to do, and you're bumping and, and moving as you go. Well, it came time for me to get off the bus, and I began to make my way through the people. As you bump them and, and the bus is moving and you're hitting new people. And I came to a gentleman who was standing there and I could not get around him. He was a tall man and he was very close to me. And I was trying to think, I'd been there about a month and I knew I had learned the phrase for excuse me. And I couldn't come up with it. And the phrase in Russian is izvaniti, but what came out was something different. I said idisuda which means, come here. His eyes got really big. He leaned back a little bit from me, and it was perfect because I was able to walk right around him. And I knew I had said something wrong, but it worked, and I was glad, and I, I was able to get off the bus. That's just one of the many mistakes that we have made as we're trying to learn the language and enjoying those experiences. But as I study uh, the Russian language, there are also some really wonderful things that you begin to learn. Knowing the history of the Soviet Union, you know that for 80 years, the Soviet Union intentionally, deliberately tried to teach their people and their children that there was no God. For 80 years, for two generations, they said, there's no God. And they did everything they could to convince the people of this fact in their minds. Uh, But wonderfully, within their language, within the Russian language, there was the grace of God that was reaching the people even through their language. 
I came across one of the first words you learn when you go to Russia or Ukraine um, and you speak the Russian language is the word for thank you. It's spasiba. Everybody say spasiba. Spasiba means thank you. It actually comes from two different words. It comes from the word spasitiel, which means savior or save, spasitiel, and bog, which means God. Spasitiel, bog, spasiba. So it comes from these two words, and the reality of what it means when you say spasiba is you're actually saying, God save you. So when someone does something nice for you and you're thanking them, the way they do it in the Russian language is they almost they say a prayer for the person. For what you've done for me, God save you. So for 80 years, while the Soviet Union tried to convince the people that there was no God, the Russian people across that nation said prayers for one another every time they said thank you. Spasiba, spasitiel bog. Another word I came across quickly was, as we studied the seven days of the week, was Sunday, which is Voskresenya. I won't make you pronounce that one, but Voskresenya comes from the root word Voskres, which means resurrection. And so the, the word for Sunday across the Soviet Union was the word that meant the day that Jesus rose from the dead, the day that Jesus was resurrected. So for 80 years, while the Russian government tried to say there was no God, every time they mentioned Sunday, they said the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And when we came through Christmas, our first Christmas away from our family, uh, we learned another word. It was Yasli. Everybody say Yasli. Yasli is the word for manger. And if you go to Luke 2 and you learn, read the, the Christmas story in the Russian Bible, you'll see the word Yasli. Yasli, interestingly enough, is not just the word for manger, but the Russian people use it for um, any nursery or daycare. And so when they take their children and drop them off at preschool or the daycare, they're taking their children to the Yasli, to the manger. So for 80 years, while the Russian government tried to say there was no God, the people across the Soviet Union would take their children to the manger every day that they went to work. It is God, again, through his provenient grace, devising a plan to bring people back to him who've been separated from him. It's something that only the Lord can do. I heard the story about a young girl. She was eight years old at the time. She was telling it as an adult. But this eight-year-old girl told the story of, she said, at eight years old, I don't remember anybody telling me that there was not a God. She said, actually, what I remember is at eight years old, I had never even heard the word God, let alone anyone expressing the fact that there might be a supreme being out there that's bigger than me. But she said at eight years old, having never had the concept of God shared with her, she went out into the yard and was playing one day and she laid down on the ground on her stomach and she was looking at the grass and she noticed that on one blade of grass, there was an ant that was going up and down the blade of grass. And she watched the ant for a while, just sitting there watching this ant. And it was as if God reached down and touched her shoulder in that moment, she said. Because as she watched this ant, she had a thought for the first time. She looked up and she thought, I wonder if there's anybody bigger than me that's watching me like I'm watching this ant right now. God putting a thought in her mind at eight years old 
that began a search for her that she discovered later to be Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, who had died and was raised on her behalf. And she came to know Jesus later and tells that story of how God spoke to her for the first time, even when people were not speaking. God always finds a way to reach people. This is a story of Scripture, and it's a story of our lives. I want to talk to you just for a moment tonight about a story in 2 Samuel chapter 14. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, I'll have you wait on the slide just for a moment. I want to set this verse up. It's 2 Samuel chapter 14, if you have your Bibles and want to look at that. Uh, The story of 2 Samuel 13 and 14 is the story of King David. Uh, King David had many wives and he had many children through those wives. And the story is really about two of King David's children, two of his sons, that are half-brothers. They're sons of David, but sons of different mothers. And these two half-brothers, Absalom and Amnon. And the story of 2 Samuel chapter 13 tells the story of Amnon. And I'm not going to go into all the detail of that story. You can read that another time if you want. It's kind of a bad story. Amnon does something terrible, and Absalom gets very angry with Amnon. And the story is told in in, uh, 2 Samuel 13 and 14 that Absalom one day finds the right opportunity and he kills Amnon for what he's done. And Absalom now, who's killed his half-brother, the king, King David, discovers this. And King David is a righteous king. He wants to be good in front of God's eyes. And he knows he has to do something with Absalom, who's killed someone else. And so in that moment... He says to Absalom, you are expelled from my presence, the palace. I don't want to see your face the rest of my life, is basically what he said. And Absalom heads out into the countryside to never see his father again. Well, King David is not only a righteous king, but he's also a good father, and he longs for his son. He's, he's already lost one son, Amnon, who died, And it's as if he had lost his second son, Absalom, now, because now he never sees him again. And so King David is sad, and his army officer, Joab, notices that King David is very sad. And so Joab sends for a wise woman from the city of Tekoa to come and and come to the king. And the story, this wise woman comes before King David, and she tells him a story. And it goes something like this. She says, I have two kids. Two sons, my husband is dead, and my two sons have headed out into a field, and one of my sons killed the other son, and it's left me with just one son. And she said, all of my family now wants to kill the one son for what he did to my other son. But if they kill my one remaining son, I will have no family, no sons to call my own. She said, will you help me, King David? The story sounds a little bit like the early chapters of Genesis. If you remember the story of Cain and Abel, Cain and Abel go out into a field. Cain kills Abel, brother kills brother. And then God confronts Cain. And you remember what Cain said to God? He said, now if you send me out, I'm going to be killed by the people of this world. And God says to him, no, you won't be killed. And he puts his mark on Cain, and Cain is not killed by anybody in this world. 
And King David probably, it doesn't say this, but I imagine he knew this story well and, and this story sounded so much like it. King David realized, hey, I can be righteous and still protect this one son who's killed the other son. And so he declares to the wise woman, he says, I will protect your son who's still living. By order of the king of Israel, your son will not be killed by anybody else. And the wise woman looks at King David and she says, what you have just spoken is what is true for your own life with your own son, Absalom. And this is what she says, 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 14. This is in the New Living Translation. It says, all of us must die eventually. Our lives are like water spilled out on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. But God doesn't just sweep life away. Instead, he devises ways to bring us back when we've been separated from him. God devises ways to bring us back to him when we've been separated from him. This is the God that we serve today. A God who understands where we're at and he devises ways to bring you and me back to him who've been separated from him. He is a rescuing God. And the God that we've discovered as well, that same God in the Soviet Union, the former Soviet Union, is doing the same thing over and over and over again, devising ways to bring people back to him who've been separated from him. I could tell you the story of an 80-year-old widow from the United States of America, 80 years old widow. In 1993, two years after the fall of the Soviet Union, this 80-year-old widow heard from the Lord, that God was calling her to be a missionary in Ukraine. At 80 years old, I cannot imagine what her 60-year-old children would have thought, but this 80-year-old widow sold her home and headed to Ukraine and ended up in the city of Khmelnytsky, Ukraine. In that city, she never, she was there one year, she never learned the Russian language. She did what she only, the only thing she could do which was try to find anyone who would speak English and tell them about Jesus. She came across one lady, her name was Jana, and Jana was an English speaker and an English teacher. And so she spent a lot of time with Jana during that one year. And at the end of the year, before this 80-year-old widow missionary headed back to the United States, Jana had came to know Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. Through Jana's witness and her testimony, her personal change that Christ did in her life, Her husband, Valera, also a former uh, army officer in the Soviet Union Army, he also came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Today, Pastor Valera is the pastor of the Church of the Nazarene in Khmelnytsky, Ukraine. This is a story of God devising a way through the life of an 80-year-old widow who said, yes, I'll do what you want me to do, even though everyone else thinks that's crazy, I'll do it. God made a plan to reach this family who are now reaching the people of Khmelnytsky, Ukraine. We've got a healthy church there that runs 150 and is reaching and discipling and and seeing people come to Christ. And it's God who's made a plan to reach people. I could tell you the story of Igor. Igor was a single uh, young man who had come to a place in his life where he was drinking far, far too much. And he came to a place where he realized that his life was falling apart around him. And he began to look for help. 
and he heard about a rehabilitation center in Selache, Ukraine. And he decided to take a chance and go and try to get help for his alcoholism. Uh, on his way there, what he discovered was that the rehabilitation center in Selache wasn't just a state, wasn't a state-run uh, rehabilitation center. It was actually a Nazarene drug and alcohol rehab center. We have six of them in Ukraine. And when he arrived there, he discovered that the way that these men have come to health uh, physically and freedom from addiction is through Christ's transformation. And Igor came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior and was completely delivered from alcoholism. Igor went back to Sevastopol, the city where he was from. One of the women, one of the young ladies that he knew from before that didn't want anything to do with him because of his alcoholism, noticed this change in Igor. Her name was Anna. And it wasn't long before Anna came to know Jesus Christ as her Savior and Lord. And the two of them got married. There was not a church of the Nazarene in Sevastopol, and so they began attending a, a Protestant denomination that was there, another, another church. And uh, hold that story for just a second. About nine months after Igor left Selache, there was another couple from Khmelnytsky, the city I mentioned to you with Pastor Valera. This young couple uh, was not attending the church of the Nazarene there, but their lives were falling apart. Uh, Yoda and Oksana and their son, Artyom, were there. And Yoda had a very bad drug and alcohol addiction. It had totally gained control of his life. To the place where his wife, Oksana, and their son, Artyom, Oksana said, I've had enough. And she took her son and she left Yoda and said, you're on your own. And Yoda hit rock bottom. And he decided to get help and he heard about a rehabilitation center in Selache, Ukraine. And he decided to go there. What he didn't know was that it was a Nazarene drug and alcohol rehab center. And when he got there, he discovered a bunch of men who loved Jesus and had been delivered from drugs and alcohol through the power of Jesus. And it wasn't long before Yoda had prayed and asked for forgiveness of his sins and received Jesus Christ in his life, and his life forever changed. He became the leader of the Selache Rehab Center, stayed for two years, not just six months, stayed for two years as the leader of the rehab center. He would call his wife, Oksana, and say, come to Venitsa, where he was at, and, and visit our church, and I want to see my son. And she would come down reluctantly. She didn't want any part of the Church of the Nazarene there, because in Russia and in Ukraine, if you're not a part of the uh, of the Russian Orthodox Church. You're considered a sect, and so she didn't want a part of that. Well, one day she finally gave in. She decided to go and visit the church there, Church of the Nazarene in Venitsa. And there, the very first Sunday, Oksana says, I had never experienced the love that I experienced when I walked through those doors. And that night, Oksana gave her heart to Jesus. God brought that family back together. And he put a call on Yoda's life to go as a pastor to a city called Sevastopol, which is a city that Igor and Anna were now living. Today, in Sevastopol, Igor and Anna and Yoda and Oksana, those two couples, are planting the Church of the Nazarene in that city. You can pray for those two couples as they begin the Church of the Nazarene in that city. This is God making a way to bring people back to him who've been separated from him. In 2001, I had just finished uh, Nazarene Theological Seminary, 
And my wife and I, we didn't have kids at the time. Uh, we were feeling God leading us back to Grace Point. Uh, we had been on staff at Lake Avenue and then had gone to seminary, and you all had moved to this new location. And we had been asked to come, and we had felt that that was God's plan and purpose for us. But we also had felt that God wanted us to go and spend just a little bit of time in Russia before we came. And so for three months, the summer of 2001, right after graduation, uh, my wife and I went as volunteers in the Church of Nazarene to Russia. And we taught a couple classes in uh, pastoral development and things and got to visit different places. And while we were there, we were in, Ros- we were in uh, Volgograd, Russia. And Lonnie and Connie Norris were there at the time. And, and Lonnie had received an email from a family, uh, a pastor and his wife from Rostov. It was about seven hours by car from Volgograd. And this family said, we're pastoring a church. It's a small group of people. And we would like for you to come and, and visit our church and talk to us about the Church of Nazarene. We've heard about the Church of Nazarene. And we're considering becoming a part of your denomination. And so Lonnie and Connie asked if we wanted to go. And we took this trip. It was an unforgettable trip for many, many reasons. We were only there for 24 hours. They fed us five full meals in 24 hours. It was really packed meals, and uh, that's including a, a night of rest. So it was five meals in about maybe seven hours. Um, there was an incredible experience for Jenny and I, and we felt uniquely connected to these people in that 24 hours. They did become a Church of the Nazarene, and for 12 years of our life before we became missionaries, we prayed for the city of Rostov, because our hearts were just moved by these people. And uh, in September of this last year, uh, we had a pastor's meeting. Half of the pastors of our field met in Rostov. And there, while we were in Rostov, uh, we got to see Vasily and his church, Pastor Vasily, that we had met the first time. The church now runs close to 200 people and is doing very well in reaching the community. It's an exciting place to go and worship the Lord with them. But they've also planted a few churches, and one of the groups, uh, the pastor uh, there, has has had some wonderful, he's got a really strong core group. His name is Pastor Slava, and Pastor Slava has a great core group, and they, for a number of times, he he explained to us that what has been happening is that the church would grow within a rented facility, And the landlord would begin to be uncomfortable with them, and they would begin to cry out that this was a sect, and you had to leave. And twice, they have had to leave their rented facility, and uh, and the people there don't want to be called a part of a sect because of the persecution it might mean on their family and their jobs, and the people seem to, to walk away. And... What they did was uh, Pastor Vasily and Pastor uh, Slava took Lonnie and I and Dr. Gustavo Crocker, who's now, he was our regional director, he's now going to be one of our general superintendents, took the three of us to a particular land with a building on it, and he said, we believe that God wants us to have this property and to, to be here. And as we heard their story and their vision for it, we were convinced as well, the three of us, that this is what God wanted To make a long story short, months went by and nothing happened, but about three months ago, before we came on this trip, I was praying for this place, and and I I began to sense that God was speaking to my heart as I said, what do we do? And I felt like the Lord said, well, when you go back for General Assembly and you speak in these five churches, 
What I want to ask you to do is what I sensed in my heart was that no offerings that would be taken, no deputation offerings, no personal gifts, everything that we received on this trip would go for Rostov. The building, it's in a large city. Rostov is a city of about 1.2 million people. And this, so in a large city like that, uh, property's not expensive. It costs $200,000 to buy this land in this large building. Um, and so it's actually a large home, uh, but it would fit very well as a church. And so $200,000 is a lot of money to me um, and to you, I'm sure. And it felt like a big challenge. But what I believe today is that God is devising a way to bring people back to him who've been separated from him. I, while I know it's a large amount, what I believe is that God, who called me to do this, will complete what he's doing. And I'm thankful for the church. Uh, God has given us uh, a very good five weeks here in the States, four weeks, and uh, is blessing us. But we need people who would stretch outside of their comfort zone to make this possible. A thousand or two thousand dollars from a church isn't going to get us there very quickly. And so what we're asking is that people would pray, prayerfully consider giving outside of their comfort zone to be part of the plan that God is using to reach this community for Christ. I believe this church will grow very quickly and very effectively if they have a piece of property. So please pray with me for this. A phone call to Armenia, an 80-year-old widow, a rehab center in Venitsa, and a church in Rostov. Four stories that tell one grand story of God devising a way to bring people back to him who've been separated from him. I believe that there's possibly someone here tonight who has never come to a place where they've asked Jesus to forgive their sins and come into their, into their lives. And I want you to know something tonight, if that's you, if you've come in here tonight for that. God is devising a way to bring you back to him when you've been separated from him. This is something that only God does, and tonight's a part of that for you. I also believe that there would be people here who have grown children who you've prayed for for a long time who are not following Jesus today, and your heart's broken over them. And I want you to hear this message tonight that God is devising a way to bring people back to him who've been separated from him. I also believe that there are people here who God is calling. God's not going to call everybody to come to Ukraine, because where would Grace Point be? Uh, But God is calling people to do something for him. And maybe you've been somebody who said, God, that's too big. That's something I'm uncomfortable with. I don't want to be a part of it. That ministry within the church, I, I can't do it. I hear you, but I just can't do it. I want you to know that God is devising a plan to bring people back to him. And that plan usually, almost always, includes us. He wants us to be a part of that process of bringing people back to him. And I want you with me. I want together for us to say, yes, Jesus, we will go where you want us to go. We'll do what you want us to do. We'll be a part of your plan to reach lost people. Would you pray with me tonight as we close this evening? Father, I want to thank you today for this wonderful group of people. Thank you, God, for bringing us together tonight to worship. Thank you for Jacob Smith that led us in worship and to see him growing up in this church and 
be empowered through his family and through this church to to lead a congregation in worship. And uh, Lord, I just remembered how this group has impacted me like uh, these people have impacted Jacob. And I'm thankful for them tonight. Lord, I, uh, I pray that you would help us, help us as the church, both here in Fort Wayne and Fort Wayne uh, Grace Point South, Fort Wayne Grace Point North, that you would help us be a church that is a part of your plan to reach this community. Thank you, God, for calling us to not just reach Fort Wayne or just Indiana or just the United States, but saying, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I've uh, taught you. And, Lord, would you help us, help us to be a part of that in your way. We promise to say what you want us to say and to go where you want us to go. Um, Help us to be your people, Lord, in every way. Bless this church in Rostov, Jesus. Um, Lord, would you use offerings and gifts that have been given to reach what you have planned for them. And Lord, may it impact thousands upon thousands of people in southern Russia. We trust you today. Bless Pastor Brady and this church with your presence in every step that they take. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.